Hello, everyone, and welcome into this edition of the Sports Detective Podcast. I am your host, James Williams, and today I talk to Brandon Olson, who is the host of the Locked On Gators podcast covering all things Florida Gators football. We talk about this upcoming Florida football season. What should we expect out of the offense? Could this be one of the best rushing attacks in the SEC? Is the quarterback the key from this team being a rebuilding team that's around bowl eligibility to potentially being a team that can make a few SEC teams sweat? We talk about all of that stuff. How can Florida improve on defense? We talk a lot of big picture things. How good will Anthony Richardson be in the NFL? We touch on the controversial, one of the wildest stories in college football, the Jaden Rashada situation. And then we also just kind of talk about a bunch of different SEC stuff, a lot of different football stuff, a little bit of Florida State, LSU, Alabama, Georgia, Texas A&M. Pretty good conversation. We went a little bit longer than we thought, but I think we were just having a good conversation. So without any further ado, here is my interview with Locked On Gators host, Brandon Olson. All right, joining us is Brandon Olson, who is the host of the Locked On Gators podcast. He's been all over Florida Gators recruiting and all the offseason football content that you want about Florida. I was listening to a few of your podcasts before we recorded today earlier this morning, and it was probably my fault because I was listening to the quarterback podcast, but I was like, geez, like, I don't know about this Florida team. And then I got to the podcast talking about some of the things you're more positive about, about the football team, such as the running backs, some of the offensive weapons, the basically brand new offensive line, but still seems like there's a lot of upside to that. Uh, Can you just start off here, Brandon, talking about, what things you're most positive looking forward to on offense with Florida this season? Cause you have an offensive head coach and Florida's looking to score some points. Yeah. Um, I think for me, it has to start with running back. Like you, you have one of the best running back duos in the entire country in Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne. They're just, I mean, Montreal, I, I know that Florida Gators fans love Trevor Etienne more. I agree. He has a higher ceiling right now. Montreal Johnson for me is the he's got a funner name. Player. Yeah, yes, exactly. Uh, that's all it is. <laughs> um, but for me, Montreal is just a, a more well-rounded back overall. Uh, look at ETN's between-the-tackles numbers. They're not awesome. Montreal's are much more optimistic there between the tackles and outside and also just pass protection for me. I, I, I get it. I'm a nerd for this. But for me, running back pass protection is an important part of football, and Montreal Johnson does pretty well at that. And also the offensive line... Yeah, almost completely new. Kingsley Aguakin, starting center. He's the only full-time starter coming back. Austin Barber, going. he rotated in a lot at left tackle, right tackle last year. Going to be the starting left tackle this year. Then you look at everything else, and no matter what the combination is, I feel pretty confident that the offensive line is going to be at least solid. Uh, whether it's Micah Mazuka, who, I mean, from Baylor last year, he was the number two guard in the country. He's coming to Florida to replace the guy who was the number one guard in the country, according to PFF, Osiris Torrance. So you're replacing the best with the best returning, and and you can't be upset about that if you're Florida. Uh, Right tackle, up in the air, that's going to be a competition. Lindell Hudson Jr. from FIU, Damian George from Alabama. Uh, Right guard, Richie Leonard, Najee Harris, Jalen Farmer, Riley Simons, Roger Cooney. There's a ton of people in competition on the right side of the offensive line, but... 
either way. And anybody that has ever listened to my show about offensive line knows I will die for this offensive line coaching staff. Uh, Rob Sale, offensive coordinator, offensive line coach. Darnell Stapleton, assistant offensive line coach. I die for them. I have, I have full faith in them. I mean, Rob Sale's done it consistently throughout his career. He's gotten three-star players to the NFL consistently. Robert Hunt with the Dolphins, Osiris Torrance with the Bills now. Um, you look at Max Mitchell with the Jets. He's done it consistently. So for me, it's the running backs and the offensive line that I'm just over the moon for. Some of us football fans can just be really dumb sometimes. And a lot of times when we think about offensive coaches, we think this guy's going to come in, he's going to take over and he's going to chuck it. And I think a lot of people probably think that is the way with like guys like Billy Napier, Lane Kiffin, maybe Cliff Kingsbury to a degree, but a lot of offensive genius actually comes from running the ball. Can you kind of describe what Billy Napier's philosophy is on offense? Because it seems like he does like to really run the ball and that's why the running backs actually seem, and the offensive line, like you point out, seems so interesting this year because if they have very talented running backs and a very good offensive line, this offense can really get going. Yeah, I mean, he, he wants to run the ball. He is very open about Like, he loves smash mouth football, but it's still modern in the sense that it's like that wide zone style, uh, the, the 12 personnel sets that you see the 49ers and the Rams operate in, 12 personnel condensed sets, wide zone runs. It's all that stuff that you see that makes everybody go, oh my God, Mike McDaniels is a genius for his rushing attack. It's the same stuff that Billy Napier is going to do. Billy Napier just does it as a much, at a much higher frequency than anybody else. And I mean, you look at Billy Napier's career as a head coach from Louisiana and now with Florida, obviously, although Florida's only been one season, and you look at who he's gotten to the NFL on the offensive side of the ball, it's all offensive linemen and running backs. It's all the offensive linemen that I listed before, the Robert Hans, Osiris Torrance's, Max Mitchell's, and then running backs, Elijah Mitchell, uh, Raymond Calais, Trey Ragas. There's a reason Billy Napier gets running backs and offensive linemen to the NFL, because he knows how to work with them and knows how to run the football with them effectively and efficiently and to put them in the best spot to succeed. A lot of times when coaches take over, we look at like, when's that jump going to be? It seems like from what I've read and from what a lot of people tell me, when Billy Napier took over Florida, this is maybe one of the lowest talented teams, least talented teams that they had had in maybe 20 years. And a lot of times, too, with college coaches, we want to look at, like, when's that jump? And a lot of people will say, hey, it's the second-year jump. They are in there. He's been in the building for over 18 months. Are we expecting to see a second-year jump this year with Florida, or is this maybe going to be more of a rebuild than – uh, maybe fans are hoping for. I, I think it's more of a rebuild. I think this year the expectation should be six wins, seven wins. Um, next year, you got to run the absolute gauntlet with that schedule, so you're not going to have a great record either. But I think it's about building the program. Like 2024 right now, they have a top three recruiting class unanimously. Uh, so you know that he's bringing in talent. He is loading this thing up where it's not always going to be pretty but the process is in place for this team to find success. So I don't necessarily know if we're going to see that jump in the second year. I think that the team looks much better, but I think your schedule this year is considerably harder than it was last year. And so I think that the record is going to 
look similar, but even if the record looks similar, just know that the team performed significantly better. Um, especially because, you know, last year you got by by the skin of your teeth against Utah, which is an incredible game that I will pat myself on the back going into it. I said, I don't know who wins. It's going to be very close is all I know. It's 50-50. I think the same thing going this year. Um, but, I, I mean, this time you don't have that home field advantage of the swamp like you had last year. You have to go to Salt Lake City. And it's just it's a tough schedule this year, tough schedule next year. So I don't know if we really see that massive jump in record until 2025. But I think that we will continue to see the product on the field improve in quality. Looking at this Florida team, I've like we were talking about the offensive line. We like them. We like the running backs. I think some of the receivers have some potential. The defense needs to improve. I want to talk about that in a little bit. It needs to improve, maybe get a little bit more efficient in some areas, get some more stops. But just looking at the defense, it's got a lot of talent on it. So if that talent you know, comes to fruition, it's unproven talent, obviously. It's younger talent. It seems like Florida actually, in my opinion, could potentially make some noise this year, maybe challenge, maybe not like challenge to win the SEC, but maybe, you know, maybe give put the scare on a few teams. The biggest question mark, and you've covered this on your podcast, is the quarterback position. You have Graham Mertz, who transfers in from Wisconsin, a guy who was probably a little bit disappointing in Wisconsin, but a guy that has had some experience. What are your thoughts on Graham Mertz? I'll just let go from there like what are your thoughts on Graham Mertz and how how and can he be successful this season I think that Graham Mertz is average to above average for a power five starter I think he's going to be significantly better in 2023 than we've ever seen him and I think a big part of that is just leaving and I've, I've said this every single time I talk about Graham Mertz not being in that 1905 offense before the forward pass was legal. Like like now you're working in an offense that's not just actively hamstringing you. It's not just, yeah, we're going to line up in the I form, hand it off to the running back. And then when we do pass it, it's a three-step drop and a dig or a slant or an out. Not really working play action, not working boot into your offense, not working RPOs into your offense. Like everybody on the offensive coaching staff from Wisconsin in 2022 belongs in prison for what they have done to those players. Uh, It's just atrocious. So I think Graham Mertz, I think he's going to look statistically way better than we've ever seen him. And I think that people are going to go, oh my God, what a great improvement. I really think it's just that he's not going to be handcuffed by the offense anymore. I think that he can get the job done. He's obviously not as athletic as Anthony Richardson, He cannot throw the ball as far or as fast as Anthony Richardson could. But I think Graham Mertz misses those slants less. There's not really going to be missed slants, missed five-yard digs, missed hitches. I think that that's not an issue anymore. And so while the offense will be considerably less explosive and while your quarterback will be way less involved in the running game, I think that you're going to see way more consistency, which is what Billy Napier wants. Like Billy Napier has openly said, hey, we want to run the ball, kill the clock, score, play good defense, get the ball back, and kill the clock again. And so as long as Graham Mertz can operate the offense consistently and not shoot them in the foot, he can get the job done, and that's all I care about. 
with quarterbacks too, we were very good at pointing at them and saying, you're bad. I don't want to see you anymore. Get out of my face. Please transfer. And an example of this last year, if you're looking at Graham Mertz trying to get hope is like Bo Nix. When he was ending his tenure at Auburn, there was some flashes kind of up and down. But last year, like he was really good at Oregon. And this year he's coming in one of the premier Heisman contenders. Graham Mertz, kind of the same thing. Played for a good team. Here's my case if like you're making it, hey, Graham Mertz is going to be good this year. This is the first time, as you alluded to a little bit, first time in his career he has offensive talent around him. He's going to have a running game that he can rely on, so they're not going to ask him to pass as much. They don't need him to throw them into games all the time. A good offensive coach, Billy Napier, if some people maybe have different opinions of him on how good he is as a head coach, one thing he knows how to coach is offense. He's also not coming from a G5 school. He's coming from a Power 5 school. He's playing against Iowa. He's played against Ohio State, Michigan, all of these teams. He's also a multi-year starter, so you can throw him in. He knows what to do on third downs. He knows how to do this stuff. And combining with all these things, also, too, he's not in playing in the Midwest, northern <laughs> part of the country anymore. So when he's throwing passes, the wind might not blow them like, like 10 feet where he doesn't want them to go. And I think another point here, too, is Anthony Richardson got drafted in the top five, but I think you've mentioned this before. It's not like he was a top five like college quarterback last year. He was very inconsistent. Yes, he was like the first time I ever talked to you, Brandon, I, I remember we talked about him. You're like, yeah, this guy is like a physical freak. We're not sure how good of a quarterback he is. And we saw it in the Utah game. This guy could be really, really good. But we also saw in a lot of other games, he struggled with consistency. And if Graham Mertz can provide Florida with a lot of consistency, I think this Florida team might be able to shock some people this year. Yeah, that, that's really all it is. It's just, yeah, I, I have a, a saying that I've used with Anthony Richardson since he, since he was a backup. I've said, hey, like, he, like people like him don't exist. Complete alien. Like people his size don't move how he moves. And if they do, they play edge rusher or tight end because they can't throw the ball the way he does. You look at a mock draftable is a fun website that I like to look at when you compare athleticism. Anthony Richardson's like third most comparable athlete is Khalil Mack. Like, like th- he's not a quarterback build at all. But there are certain times where he couldn't hit the side of a barn if he was throwing the side of a barn. Like he, he's incredibly inaccurate and inconsistent. But again, you deal with that because you know that when he's on, you get that Utah game. You get his performance against Tennessee. You get the second half performance against LSU. You get those kind of moments from him. And you deal with all of the bad moments because of that. I think with Florida, you get less of those Utah game, Tennessee, second half of LSU. You get less of those. But you also don't have me calling for... After the South Florida game last year, I remember recording and I said... Billy Napier, just go to the triple option because this dude can't complete passes past the line of scrimmage, um, which obviously is just being dramatic, but you're not going to have that with Graham Mertz. Like you, you aren't getting the wow, oh my goodness, Heisman moments, but you're also not getting the oh, we are screwed moments. Let's go on a little bit of a tangent here. Anthony Richardson, you covered his career. You covered a lot of the drafting process. 
obviously, again, all the concerns that we just brought up. How do you think he's going to be at the NFL? Because he's drafted very high to a team that uh, not sure how good they're going to be this year. Not sure how much talent they have. And I also am not sure if they have. I don't think the Colts have like the veteran bridge quarterback. So he's going to play a lot this year. How is his game going to translate to the NFL? Yeah, uh, it's Anthony Richardson versus Sam Ellinger versus Gardner Minshew for the starting quarterback of the uh, Colts job. So nothing that's really ringing confidence in you. But I I think that it might take a while, but I I think he's going to be fantastic. I, I like I just knowing AR as a person and not that I'm like personally close with him, but just knowing AR, knowing his personality, his work ethic, I have no doubt that he's going to be successful, especially with Shane Steichen as his coach. It's going to be an offense catered towards him and he's going to succeed every step of the way, I think. I'm hoping I, I just after I asked that question, I was like, maybe it's a good idea to get him for fantasy. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's going to make like I had Justin Fields last year. Justin Fields would, he'd only throw like 12 passes a game, maybe complete six of them, but he would also go all like two 60 yard runs and like two touchdowns. And I'd get like 25 points out of him. I'm, I'm gonna have to mark Anthony Richards down Richardson down. Yeah, as well. um, I, I've, I've had him marked down. I think that Anthony Richardson this year will do basically what Justin Fields did last year. Are you already like scouting your fantasy teams? I that's that's the only reason I cover college football. It's just it's just so I know in the future who to draft. Who are who are you looking at this year? Top end of the draft fantasy. I'm Anthony Richardson. I, like I I'm going. Oh, are you doing like? Do you have like a dynasty league? I do have dynasty. Yes. Okay, that makes sense. I was <laughs> like, I was like, what? <laughs> I, have, I have Justin Fields in a, in a two quarterback dynasty league. So I'm gonna have Justin Fields and Anthony Richardson just just winning. That's it. <laughs> Okay. Okay. That makes more sense. So I was, I, I, we usually just do like the once a year type of fantasy. I, I did a league with you, I think like two years ago. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I like doing that last year. I won, but it was like, I won, I won two leagues that I was in. I was only in two basically drafted like the same team, but it was also that weird time with the DeMar Hamlin thing. So I feel like those mm. wins are kind of like cheap because that game ended. So if you're going up against like Josh Allen or something, like you kind of the points kind of got thrown off for that, but I'll still take the W's. Yeah, hey, wins a win. <laughs> let's switch back to Florida. We talked about the defense a little bit earlier last year. Florida very bad at getting teams off the field at third down. Part of the reason too, again, the offense last year could put up some points here and there, but it seemed like the biggest thing with Florida was like they couldn't get stops when they needed to. A lot of young talent on this team. What are you expecting out of the defense this year? Uh, much, much more improved. And I, I don't necessarily, I know a lot of Florida Gators fans do fault Patrick Tony, who is the defensive coordinator last year. Um, no, I don't. It's going to be Austin Armstrong the new defensive coordinator. Patrick Tony is now the safeties coach with the Arizona Cardinals. Hold on. Can you talk about that Armstrong here for a second? Because he's like 29 years old. Can you just talk hey, about he him? He turned 30 last week. He's okay. a grown man now. Okay. He's got some hair on his chest. Can you talk about him a little bit? Because like I was reading that and I was like, what? Yeah, no, he is. I don't think he's going to be in Gainesville long. Um, I, I just don't. He, he is fantastic. Last year he had a 40% blitz rate. So that was eighth highest in college football uh, with Southern Miss. Got hired to be the inside linebackers coach at Alabama. 
and many people were thinking like, okay, this is Nick Saban hiring his DC in a year or two, just getting him on the staff early. Uh, he was in Tuscaloosa for a week before Billy Napier hired him after Patrick Tony left. So Austin Armstrong, really aggressive, really fun. Like like players love him. Um, he, he's gonna really clean things up because for me last year. The defense was fine schematically on the back end. It was very modern defense. It was a lot of quarters, a lot of cover three, a lot of let's just not get beat deep, um, but not aggressive enough up front. Patrick Tony's 40% blitz rate. You're going to get a hell of a lot more aggressive if you're Florida. And so you kind of answer the only question I had. It's just a matter of actually putting it together now. I want to talk about the Jaden Rashada situation. It was a one of the weirder stories we've had in college football over the last few years. Florida did not come out looking good at it. Basically, he comes out uh, with a four-year, $13 million NIL deal, and everyone's like, wow, Florida got their guy. This is like really interesting and like a big, big number for a guy that's just coming out of high school. And then basically everything falls apart, and now Jaden Rashada is at Arizona State. So just kind of break down, I kind of just hit the big bullet points there, kind of break down what happened with that situation and, you know, why, why he ended up coming to Florida and why he ended up leaving. So the Jaden Rashada situation is one, one of the wackiest situations we'll ever get in college football. Uh, Two, one of the worst reported on stories we've ever had in college football. Uh, Yes, four years, 13 million all that. What is constantly overlooked is that the Gator Collective, who is no longer an NIL collective, um, the Gator Collective had a lawyer basically negotiate the contract for them. That same lawyer also worked for Jaden Rashada's agents, his representation. So basically more money Rashada gets, more money Lawyer gets as his commission from both the agency side and the collective side. So that's why it was so inflated. On top of that, which, by the way, huge conflict of interest, obviously. Um, Lawyer did not report that potential conflict of interest to his firm, and that's why he was allowed to go through with it. He also did not tell the collective, hey, I I work for that same agency. Um, And he obviously did not tell the agency, hey... I work for that collective. So that's what happened with why the number is so insane. But also, uh, early signing day was December 21st. December 7th, uh, Florida's Gator Collective, they sent a notice to Jaden Rashada and his family. And they were like, hey, in our contract, we're allowed to pull out of this deal at any time we want before it's effective. So we're we're exercising that option. We're pulling out of the contract now. Two weeks before early signing day. Jaden Rashada's dad, Harlan, basically was just like, hey, don't worry, like it'll work out. We'll figure it out. And the Gator Collective was like, no, we won't. We're not paying that insane money to you. So that's that. Um, obviously, they go back and forth. J- uh, December 21st comes around. Jaden Rashada decides... I'm going to sign the national letter of intent and, and we'll figure it out. Then 
you know, a few weeks down the line, Gator Collective is still like, no, we're not doing that deal. We backed out of the contract. Then Rashada Astro is released from his NLI, and he leaves. So it, it was widely just, like, misreported, and it was also just a very weird situation. But that's at least my understanding of the situation. Those NIL collectives, I'm not sure what to, like, make of them in a lot of cases. It seems like they just keep popping up everywhere. And I've I've talked to a lot of people, I've listened to interviews, more specifically with, like, Iowa State. And people are like, you should just, like, you know, and they want to do, like, a subscription thing or whatever. Like, you just donate, like, 10 bucks a month or something. My only thing with those is I don't want to, like, put money into it, and I don't know where the money's going. So I, I don't... I don't know what kind of experience you have with them with any NIL collectives at Florida. It's obviously a bigger school. You talk to a lot of SEC people. I'm not really sure what to make of them. What do you make of them? I, I fully support them. I do know that for Florida specifically, we now have Florida Victorious is the main collective. Um, Florida Victorious actually on the website, you can like when you donate, however much you donate, you can choose where it goes. Like I, I can specifically put like, I want this to go to women's basketball, football, like any, anything you want. Or you could just put just put it in the general fund and I don't care. That's what I do because I don't care. I just want the school to succeed there. Um, so you can do that. Um, also, you kind of, you kind of just have to blindly trust them or as, as blindly. Um, think about who's at the top who's in charge of things like Florida, they have like financial advisors running it. And, and obviously Florida's, they got the entire football team signed up or almost the entire football team signed up at this point. It's like, you, you kind of know where the money is going generally for us. Um, but obviously each one is different. Like Ole Miss Grove collective, fantastic. And IL collective, they're just awesome. Uh, Texas A&M, I don't know what they have going on right now. But what they had at the start of NIL, complete crap. Just just simple as that. Uh, there's a reason that a bunch of the freshmen that they had are no longer there. They brought in like the greatest recruiting class ever, and a bunch of those kids aren't aren't in College Station anymore. Uh, so it's it's one of those things where you have to have faith. I know for me personally, like I I know the Florida Victorious people, so I feel pretty comfortable. You know, like okay, this is my donation every month. Do whatever you want with it. I don't care what sport it goes to. Um, but I, I fully get the skepticism. It's just a matter of, you know, do, do you want to trust people or do you not? That makes a lot of sense. It all depends on, do you trust the people? I definitely do research on a collective. If you want to try to donate when you said, uh, where you could like organize the funds or distribute them different places. I was thinking at first, I was like, Oh, you can just like pay a player. It's like, <laughs> I thought it wouldn't it be kind of cool if you like went on there and you could see the whole roster. And then you could look at like who's not making that much money and be like, ah, Gray Mertz only has like like twenty six bucks a month right now. I'll give him like a five. <laughs> that that would be awesome to put specific players. Yeah, that that would be really interesting. <laughs> uh, what's going to be the best game in Gainesville this year? Best game in Gainesville this year, I think. I mean, for me, I'm gonna say. Arkansas that's just like that's not even like the toughest game like Tennessee and Florida State are both there for me Arkansas is the one that I'm most looking forward to why 
because they know how to party. Um, okay. <laughs> and so that's the one <laughs> that I'm most looking forward to uh, is Arkansas. But no, actually, best game in the game, it's going to be Florida State. Um, so, so you and, mean like best uh, they know how to party? Is it when they come to town, are they a little bit more of a friendlier fan base? They aren't as like nasty vitriol. They don't want to like start anything. They just want to come. They want to tailgate. They want to have a good time and they want to watch their team. Uh, I don't know if they're not, you know, aggressive or anything, but I do know that their tailgates are awesome. So they are, they are who I'm looking forward to, uh, to tailgating with. But I mean, Florida State, it has, Florida State's expected to be like a top 10 team this year. They're going to be coming to the swamp. They beat you last year, which by the way, the most pathetic field storming I've ever seen. They didn't even cover the spread and they stormed the field. You like you should be embarrassed if you're on Florida State from last year. But that that for me, like that has to be the be- the best game. That and Tennessee's another one, because Tennessee is another team that you've had the upper hand on. They beat you last year at their home turf. Now it's your turn. Did, did Florida State end a streak or something? What was it because they won I mean, ten I- games or something? Well they won like nine nine and I, I think one, it's because right? they're pathetic I, I think i think it's just because they're pathetic that's all i can think <laughs> rub it in they're supposed to be like really good this year they they have they're really high on like all of like the gambling odds to like make the playoff even which is something that really surprised me when i was doing the research on all the college football teams this summer they got some, they got some dogs do they they have jordan travis at qb He's fan. He, I, I don't care what anybody says. I know people hate him. I'm a big fan of his. I think he's great. Then um, I mean, just looking at like the pass catchers, they have Jaheim Bell from South Carolina, tight end, running back hybrid. Like that's crazy. Six seven receiver Johnny Wilson. Uh, six five Keon Coleman. Defensively, Jared Verse is just a, a one man wrecking crew. They have a lot of star talent. I think for them, it's will your depth hold up. Because Mike Norvell has not done a good job recruiting. So now now it's up to your depth at that point over the long term. And we'll see with that one. But top top heavy roster, just a matter of putting it together. One thing I'm not necessarily sure on, and maybe I just need to do a little bit more research, talk to a few more people. I'm not as confident on like the top end of the SEC this year. And that's mostly Georgia and Alabama. I get the Georgia thing where what, which I think a lot of people really underrate Stetson Bennett. Cause just cause the statistical resume wasn't as good, but I've talked to people from Georgia and they're like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like if we just had somebody else in there, we might not have won these two national titles in a row. We might not have won any of them. And this year they have like a new quarterback that's coming in a little bit of a higher pedigree than Stetson, obviously. And then the other team, or I guess we'll, let's just focus on Georgia. What, what do you think? Do you, are you? Do you think that they can like three peat the? Uh, well, I guess they wouldn't three peat the SEC, but three peat a national title. Uh, I think it's certainly possible. I think they're still the best roster in football right now. But I mean, Carson Beck has to show up and stand up, um, or Brock Vanderrift, whoever wins. But it looks like it's going to be Beck. And then, like, yeah. I the first thing I looked up when I when I googled him like a few weeks ago was like he like sent like some dumb Snapchat to a girl and it got screenshotted. And then, like, Outkick, like, did, like, a 10-page article about it, which I found really funny. Yeah, well, I mean, Georgia just does not care. They're they're the new prison you at this point. Um, so they they just have no no worry at all about your reputation. I used to call Florida that with the Urban Meyer days. Like they, you guys hand them a bit of baton. 
Yeah, you you want to be great, you have to break the rules. Apparently, um, I'm sorry, not the rules, the law. Apparently, um, but Georgia still has an amazing roster. Uh, bringing in Dominic Lovett from Missouri is great, he, the best slot receiver in the country, in my opinion. Um, I, I think that they're still going to be dominant. I think with Stetson Bennett, it was weird too because like people would always dunk on him for you know he, he, his background, walk on, all that stuff, his height silly he was always going to be an nfl quarterback like there was no doubt about that that he was going to be i didn't think he'd be a third round pick but he was always going to be an nfl quarterback which is why i hated like the the car salesman things the real estate agent jokes he was always going to the nfl so i think he was just publicly underrated for no reason he definitely showed off a lot of his skill set in that championship game he was definitely an athlete. I think it was just because he was small in stature and just really, really old, old for a college <laughs> player. I think that a lot of those factors just kind of combined and people really didn't appreciate how good he was. The other team, I'm not sure at the top of the SEC, and it feels like Nick Saban, his grip, his stranglehold over all of college football in the SEC, <laughs> it's probably gone in the SEC, but just from college football as a whole, it just seems like like last year lost a few games. The offensive line doesn't seem as good as it was. It seems like they keep losing. Like they don't have that depth because they keep losing guys in the transfer portal. Uh, they don't have the dominant defense. Obviously last year, the wide receivers didn't look as good. And part of you thinks too, if they didn't have Bryce young last year, he bailed them out of a lot of situations. He was awesome last year, and that's why he was the first pick in the draft, and that's why he won the Heisman two years ago. What do you think of Alabama this year? I think a lot of people probably are a little bit down on them because they're like, we don't know the quarterback, or we don't think the quarterback's good, which is just kind of every preseason ranking ever if you look at all of them. So what what do you think Alabama's going to be this year? They obviously have a lot of history with Florida too. Yeah, um, I think they're going to be right back to their dominant Nick Saban stuff. I just think like, I feel like every time that people are like, oh, is Nick Saban finally done? Is when he's like, all right, well, just going to, time to crack some skulls. And so I feel like he's just going to do that again. Like on the recruiting trail, he was on fire for the 2023 class. 2024 is off to a slow start. But I think that Nick Saban is just going to go back to doing Nick Saban things. Uh, I think this year he's done a much better job in the portal than he did last year. And so I think for that reason, he's going to be able to kind of replace some of the talent that he lost to the portal, but it, it is going to be interesting to see really how, one, how much longer Nick Saban is going to be coaching and two, how he handles that. Cause like he brings in these great recruiting classes, but you can no longer just be like, well, you're going to sit on the bench for two years or you're going to sit on the bench for a year, transfer out and sit on a bench somewhere else because now you have the portal. Um, so it's curious to see, or I'm curious to see how he really manages that long-term or if he just doesn't even plan on being there long-term to have to manage it. Two more teams I want to ask questions about. LSU, they seem like they could potentially be a dark horse to win the SEC and win the national title this year. We know sometimes LSU just comes out of nowhere. They have that, like a few years ago with Ed Orgeron, they had a hurricane of talent. We're like, <laughs> oh my God, they have like 10 first-rounders. And this year, and especially under Brian Kelly now, it seems like they have a very competent head coach. He knows how to win football games. What's LSU going to be this year? I think they're going to be very good this year, and I hate I hate that. Um, I will say 
Big game, they big game fight. to start off the season against Florida State. That's going to be a huge. We're going to that's going to be a game yeah, we look that's at a potential playoff match. Yeah, we're, we're going to look at that in November and be like, oh, that's why that team didn't make the playoff, or that's why that team did make the playoff. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I think that they're going to be very good. I hate Brian Kelly, um, but, but I think they're going to be very good. And I will say, uh, Caroline Fenton, our our locked on LSU host, she made a very good point that. LSU coaches tend to win the national championship in their second year. They did it in women's basketball. They've done it in baseball. Um, so LSU football and basketball could be looking way up here. But uh, I will say I hate Jaden Daniels. I hated him when he was at Arizona State. I hate him now. And especially now that like, he torched Florida last year. So I especially hate him. Um, but, Sports uh, you know, I yeah, yeah, no, sports hate him. I, I have no idea about him in real life. I don't care about that. Um, who, who cares about real life? It's sports. Mm-hmm. I love Noah Kane. It's more important. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Um, I think their defense is going to be fierce this year. Their, their defense is going to be crazy, and their offense just has to not screw it up for everybody else. But, I mean, it's weird because, like, yeah, your offense just has to not screw it up, but your offense is also potentially going to be very explosive. And so that's dangerous combination for LSU. I've been talking about my friend possibly going to Alabama LSU this year. That could be a really, really pivotal game. game. Really pivotal. All right. Texas A&M, they probably would have fired Jimbo Fisher if they didn't owe him like half of like the money that's in college station. They hire Bobby Petrino Jimbo Fisher at SEC Media Days asking if he's going to give over play calling and who's going to call the plays basically said, I don't know, stop asking. Yeah, But Texas A&M still has a lot of talent. Their record didn't necessarily show how much talent they had last year. What's Texas A&M going to be this year? Are we going to have more of a regression and it's going to be like a, just a, going to be a house on fire? Or are they going to win a few more games, be a little bit more competent? If Jimbo Fisher is still calling plays, they're screwed. He's just, he's just too old school. It's not going to work in modern football. That's just not how things work anymore. If it's Petrino, maybe you got a chance, but I, I'm genuinely just not sold on their roster either. Like Their second half showing against Florida last year was one of the worst things I've ever seen. So, And they weren't good the rest of the year either. So, I mean, if they can't get right... They're completely screwed, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm not as confident with Texas A&M as I am with LSU, Georgia, or Alabama. Well, that's Brandon Olson talking to us about SEC football, Florida football. Great guest as always. We're out of time. Brandon, do you want to tell us where we can view all of your work, follow all of your stuff? You're very on top of recruiting, on top of all things football. Just tell us where we can find your work. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, WNS underscore Brandon, uh, Locked on Gators on YouTube or any social media platform. And that's pretty much it every day. Perfect. Thanks a lot, man. Okay, that is going to do it for the show today. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure you go check out Brandon on all of his stuff. He's really, really on top of like the football side of things. He's really smart X's and O's kind of guy, very much on top of recruiting. When it comes to NFL draft stuff, too, he's really on top of everything. He brought up that one website. I can't remember what it was. I looked it up on one of my computers while we were recording. 
website I never even heard about. Really fascinating, smart guy. We'll have him on again at some point, hopefully before the football season starts. And make sure you follow me on Twitter and Instagram, JDMajor2 on Twitter, JWS Detective on Instagram, and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Helps to get those followers up. You'll get notifications for the most part when new episodes drop. I plan on having another podcast coming up this week, talking to at least one more this week, talking to a team from the Big 12. I'm going to be talking about some Oklahoma State football hopefully coming up. And I also have maybe a bonus one coming up maybe Friday. That one I'm a little less sure on because... I don't know if I'll have that. I haven't heard back from the person I'm trying to get. It's a school I've really, really wanted to talk to ever since I started doing interviews with people. Hopefully we can get that one in. If not Friday, hopefully sometime before the start of the season. And as always, guys, I will see you next time.